We're in John chapter 12 today. John chapter 12, we're going to begin reading at verse 12. The next day a great multitude that had come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him and cried out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. And Jesus, when he had found a young donkey, sat on it, as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. This Sunday has been attributed to, a uh, name has been attributed to it for several hundred years now <clears throat> because of it. Because of an event that is covered in all four Gospels. It is often called Palm Sunday. Not only for the waving of the palm branches, but also the symbolism of that action. Because it will serve as a symbol of something that was to come. The waving of palm branches was reserved for the recognition of royalty. And we look at John's Gospel, we see it's perhaps the most concise rendering of that episode. And in some ways, its concision, the conciseness of it, leads us away from some of the distractions. What they shouted forms the first part of the subject today. In chapter 8 of our confession, the first paragraph, the chapter is of, of Christ the mediator. In the first paragraph we read, it pleased God in his eternal purpose to choose and ordain the Lord Jesus, his only begotten son, according to the covenant made between them both to be mediator between God and man the prophet, priest, and king, head and savior of his church. And so beginning at this, also called the triumphal entry, Jesus would show off all of these three offices, these three titles, prophet, priest, and king, now we go first to one we shall return again later. We are going to see Jesus as the prophet. And as we begin before anything else, we see him as a priest. For some time, Jesus had been heading to Jerusalem. The wording in the King James is that he set his face like flint to Jerusalem. He would not turn from right to left, unmovable, unchangeable in his purpose. The time had come, the time he had predicted. At times, he had avoided the area because of the 
hostility of the Jews and the threats to kill him. But that was because his time had not yet come. Now the time that he had prophesied had come. The time that he had told of his disciples. I want to take a few moments here just to go through the passages that cover what Jesus had said about what was to come. In the first place we can turn to is Matthew chapter 17. We'll go in order so they'll be easy to follow along with. Matthew 17 and verse 22. Now while they were staying in Galilee, Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is about to be betrayed into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And the third day he will be raised up. And they were exceedingly sorrowful. Now if we go to chapter 20, Chapter 20, in verse 18, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and to crucify, and the third day he will rise again. Now in chapter 26. Matthew 26 and verse 2. You know that after two days is the Passover. And the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. In verse 24, the Son of Man indeed goes just as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had not been born. So there you see in Matthew those references. Now we turn to Mark chapter 8. The first one in in Mark chapter 8, verse 31, he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And if we turn over to chapter 9, the second one is in verse 31 here as well. For he taught his disciples and said to them, The Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And after he is killed, he will rise the third day. And then in the next chapter would be the third reference. In verse 33 of Mark 10, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and to the scribes and they will condemn him to death 
and deliver him to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and scourge him and spit on him and kill him. And the third day he will rise again. And then if we go to chapter 14, and this fourth time, in verse 21, the Son of Man indeed goes just as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had not been born. So there's four there in Mark. In Luke, we go to chapter 9. Of course, I just gave those who are doing the did you hear this sheet an answer. So if you didn't get it, you weren't paying attention. Luke chapter 9, verse 22, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised on the third day. And then if we shoot over to 20, chapter 24, Verse 7, Luke 24, verse 7, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again. And one more place just to See, it's in John as well. In John 3 and verse 14. John 3 and verse 14. And as Moses lift up the, lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And of course that means, and it was pointing to uh, certainly the crucifixion. I read all these passages because it is good for us to be refreshed in the notion that this was something that Jesus had continually taught his disciples. This is something that he knew was coming. Even how it would happen and what would happen and how it would be that he would be killed. So therefore, uh, it leaves us without excuse when someone says, well, Jesus must have been surprised. Well, no, he wasn't. He said this very thing was going to happen. It was planned before the foundation of the world. Behold, the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. The time he prophesied was now fast approaching. But before it happens, Jesus makes what might be called a predictive statement, if you will, regarding this event. In Matthew 21, he tells Two of his disciples, he gives them a mission to go on that probably sounded a little strange at first. But in Matthew 21, verse 1, now, when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples 
saying to them, go into the village opposite you and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord has need of them and immediately he will send them. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, a foal of the donkeys. And the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. And of course, they found it exactly the way that he had said it would be. This was predicted. Jesus said it would be this way. Go and do it. So he was saying what was to happen before it happened. It showed his power and the work of providence and everything being as it was. He told them what would be said and what they were to say as they took the animals, the response they were to give. Now, you might say, well, this is small in comparison to the other things he said. But at the same time, it's also very big because Old Testament prophecy, too, by the way, would be fulfilled in what was about to take place. In Isaiah 62 and, and verse 11, say to the daughter of Zion, surely your salvation is coming. Behold, his reward is with him, and his work is before him. I say, well, that doesn't sound quite like it. Well, your salvation is coming. And the crowd shouted, Hosanna, which means save us, God. Help us, save us. In Zechariah 9 and verse 9, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem, behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, a foal of a donkey. Hundreds of years before the event, we have this exact event prophesied. Isaiah wrote, surely your salvation is coming. And when Jesus proceeded down the road to Jerusalem, the people shouted, as we said, Hosanna. Save, I beseech you. And then on top of that was also an echo of what we read in Psalm 118 in verses 25 through 26. Save, now I pray. Hosanna, O Lord. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So you have the Psalms, you have Zechariah, you have Isaiah and Zechariah's prophecy pointed to a king, the king who was riding not on a war horse, but he would be riding on a donkey. Now you might say, well, yeah, that, that's, a, you might think of Juan Valdez or something like that when you think of donkeys. But donkeys were also there were several varieties and there were some that were bred specifically for royalty. 
And when it came time for Solomon to become king of Israel, in order, because there was another son of David who was trying to usurp the throne, David said, go get my mule and sit Solomon on it and have that procession into the place that he needs to be. You can see that in 1 Kings chapter 1 and verse 33. This is not the only place where royalty had a special breed of mule that they, they had for signs. You see how things change sometimes. We just think of them as beasts of burden, and, and to some degree they were back then. And, and this really symbolizes Christ very well because not only is he a king, but also he will bear a burden, a tremendous burden, the greatest burden ever borne, the load of our sins. And the king was now coming, and he wasn't coming to win earthly wars, but yet he would soon receive and, and bring about the greatest victory in the history of the world. And here at this moment, Jesus, through his spirit, I'm sure there was the work of the spirit assembling this crowd and the interest that was going on, a crowd that would hail him as king. Just as earthly kings used criers to run before them to summon the people when they got possession of a kingdom. And so this crowd forms a line the sides of the, the road <clears throat> and they respond, Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. <clears throat> when we follow what happened, <clears throat> as Jesus entered Jerusalem, the king went to the symbol of spiritual authority, religious authority. The first thing he did upon arriving in Jerusalem was go to the temple and to cleanse the temple. And at that time, he also healed the blind and the lame. And then in Matthew 24, as a prophet, he would foretell the destruction, the coming destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. <clears throat> as prophet, he, he speaks not only of what was to come, but also what was the mind of God toward the people. Because the prophet not only foretold, but he foretold. Then we see Jesus in his office as priest in John 17. He prays for himself. He prays for the disciples. He prays for all believers. But the greatest work of the priest, of the office of the priest, was to intercede between God and man and to intercede on behalf of mankind to God. But even more important to that, to offer a sacrifice for sins. And for so many years, the people had watched this scene play out over and over again. The people would bring their animal. The animal would be sacrificed because of their sins. 
But all these sacrifices were to form and be a shadow and symbol of the ultimate fulfillment to come. And Jesus comes to Jerusalem to show himself king to fulfill his office as prophet. But above all, and mainly, it was to fulfill his office as priest. And the sacrifice that he was to offer for sin would be himself. If you turn to Hebrews chapter 10... Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 11. And every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. We... We can never fully express the pain and the anguish and the humiliation of the cross. And we should never forget or downplay it. But yet at the same time, we should not obsess over it to the ignoring of what was taking place. As John Owen would point out, in the death of death in the death of Christ. This office of priest. Again, if we turn to Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews 1 and verse 3, speaking of Christ, who being the brightness of his glory, express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power when he had by himself purged our sins. And if we move over to chapter 9. Chapter 9 and verse 11. But Christ came as a high priest of the good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands that is not of this creation. Not with the blood of goats and calves but with his own blood he entered the most holy place once for all, for all time having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. This was foretold for us. So graphically, in Isaiah 53, no greater picture had ever been drawn. Sometimes Isaiah is referred to as the fifth gospel. But in Isaiah 53, 
And in verse 4, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And then in verse 10. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. And by his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. How much the Lord Jesus endured for us. We look at that first part and we look at all the different ours and we's pronouns that are in there. And then we see his soul and his life made an offering for sin. I would ask you to look at one more place here in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. As we are told to keep looking to Christ as we run with endurance this race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. In the midst of the greatest of griefs, joy existed. The cry when he said from the cross, it is finished, it is at once a cry of victory. i tell you something that you don't hear very often. I don't know why. It should be obvious. But we need to hear it again if we haven't heard it, if we have heard it before, and if we haven't. Jesus hated sin. We, we're so used to hearing, well, God the Father hated sin, and Jesus just kind of stepped in, assuaged the anger, and said, come on, let's calm down here. Jesus hated sin even before sin was committed. Even before the first sin was committed, Jesus hated sin. He can't be God and not hate sin. Before the first sin was committed, he hated it. Because before the world even was, he covenanted with the Father to come and defeat sin for his people. To save those whom he loved from what sin does. He also hated what it had done to his creation. And so from the cross it is finished is at once a cry of victory and of relief. 
for the joy that was set before him. Now some would say that the thing being seen here is a return to glory. Fine. I think that's part of it. Completion of the work of redemption. Certainly. It has to be there. But Isaiah foretold it. He will see the labor of his soul because he knew who he had died for and each one as they came in time to salvation. As, as with what he knew, there was joy in the midst of the most heinous of all episodes. And it all started with a royal procession into Jerusalem. And I can't help but think as Jesus came down and as he sat upon this donkey, not only did he see the city ahead of him, but he also saw what was to happen in that city, outside the city. Seeing not only the crowd, but also seeing the cross. But the king had come. He had come to declare his kingdom. And by defeating the greatest of foes, Jesus, the prophet, the priest, and the king, our prophet, our priest, and our king, did exactly what he came to do. Let's stand together for prayer.